Welcome to another episode of We Don't Die. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of the international bestseller called We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. And today on our show, we'll be speaking with Deborah Diamond. Deborah is a former Wall Street money manager, CNBC commentator, and so much more. In 2008, she had an extraordinary experience that left her with unconventional powers. She left a high-profile life to pursue a life of spirituality and purpose. For the past nine years, she's worked in the metaphysical field. Deborah is a psychic medium and the author of the book, Life After Near Death, Miraculous Stories of Healing and Transformation in the Extraordinary Lives of People with Newfound Powers. Deborah earned an MBA from the George Washington University, has a graduate degree from Christie's Education, and has a PhD from the Esoteric Interfaith Theological Seminary. She is also a former professor at the Johns Hopkins University. Well, I'm super excited to hear her story, as I'm sure you are too. So, Deborah Diamond, a warm welcome to We Don't Die Radio. Oh, thank you so much, Sandra. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Oh, pleasure to have you. I'm excited about your book. I spent the afternoon with you out for my walk. I watched your YouTube video and really super thrilled that you're here today. So how about a little bit about you? Um, in your introduction, there's so much, and I, I just want to hear what happened, who you are, but where are you coming to us from today? Uh, well, actually, physically, I'm based uh, in the Mid-Atlantic. I live in Baltimore. Nice. Um, and I spend part of the uh, time in uh, New Mexico, um, but, uh, you know, primarily based on the East Coast. And uh, in terms of my background, I mean, as as you pointed out in the introduction, it's, it's varied, but like many other people uh, who do what we do, uh, you know, I have um, a very different... Um, background uh, from uh, what I used to do versus what I do today. However, I can tell you that I am a psychic medium. Uh, I'm also an author, but um, I don't know if there's uh, such a thing as a typical psychic medium, but if there is, I'm pretty sure I'm not it. (laughs) Um, I come from a very different background, a very, very traditional um, uh, background. I was a, a money manager on Wall Street for many years, a commentator on CNBC, and uh, a professor of investments in portfolio management. And that was what I was trained to do. I have an MBA. Um, I had a career on Wall Street for many years. That was my chosen profession. Uh, now, the thing is, when I was in the investment business, I always felt like I knew things. I didn't know how I knew these things, but I just kind of knew them. It was to the point where if you're in the um, investment business, you get a big stack of mail delivered to you, you know, several times a day, uh, annual reports, prospectuses, proxy statements, all sorts of research reports, which you're expected to read. And um, for me, I would always kind of know before even reading any of these you know, reports I would know about uh, the companies, the managements, the products, um, the markets, if it would be a good investment or not. Now, in the investment business, nobody talks about being psychic. Um, I had no idea why I knew any of these things. And my boss used to say to me, you know, Deborah, you have good instincts. 
So I decided, well, I guess that's the answer. I have good instincts. And that was pretty much as far as I considered it. You know, I was busy. I had three kids. I was juggling, you know, 20 balls up in the air. And so I just didn't have time to philosophize about it. But, um, you know, I always had this ability. And um, it wasn't until 2008 I decided to take an intuition development class in New York just because I figured, well, you know, I had pretty good intuition, so it would be fun to take a little class to tune it up. And I went up to New York for the weekend uh, to take this class. And the class, uh, there were about 25 people in the class, men and women. I didn't know any of them. And um, our teacher was a former PhD from Columbia who taught Far Eastern religion at Hunter College. And um, it wasn't a particularly woo-woo class, um, but... Uh, we were just practicing some kind of fun and low-key exercises in the class to develop our intuition. And I was getting everything when we were doing these exercises. And I had, again, no idea how that was possible or what I had done to have this happen. Um, We took a break in the class. And uh, when we came back from the break, our teacher said, now we're going to do a seance. And I thought, you know, I looked at the... um, schedule for the day you know I thought I was in intuition development class yes. I, didn't, I didn't want to be in a seance but then I thought well you know I'll just do this and then we'll go on to the next exercise and it was still Saturday morning and the class ran through Sunday afternoon so the teacher said I will put everyone in a meditative state and then I will take you out of it and if you see anything uh, you let me know and I'll tell you what to do so I thought, well, that doesn't pertain to me because I'm not going to see anything. So she uh, put us in a meditative state and then took us out. Now, when I meditate, I'm not in any trance or anything like that. Um, uh, just felt relaxed. And um, she took us out of the meditation and she said, does anyone see anything? And I looked around the room and everyone, all the students were looking at each other. And uh, I raised my hand and the teacher said, yes, Deborah, what do you see? And I said, I see about 50 people. So I was seeing people who uh, were my relatives who had passed. I was seeing people who went with the people in the room. And then I was seeing just random people who had passed who were just kind of strolling through. I mean, for instance, I saw some 42nd Street showgirls. It's kind of funny because we were not too far from Times Square. Were you shocked, first of all? Yeah. Yeah, I was overwhelmed. I was completely overwhelmed, um, had no context for any of this, uh, didn't know what was happening. Um, I, I wasn't afraid because it was sort of like, you know, if you have a dream and you see something in a dream, you're not really afraid. I mean, unless it's maybe something bad, but you're not afraid, you know. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, I wasn't afraid, but I didn't know what was happening. And these people were all talking to me, by the way. So. Mm. I didn't know what was happening. So the teacher said, well, if you see someone, she said to me, in the corner of the room, that means they probably go with someone sitting in that corner. So I said, well, I do see someone in the corner. And she asked me to describe the person. And I said, well, he's Hispanic. He's got dark hair uh, parted in the middle, a handlebar mustache and big white teeth. And as I described him, the woman sitting in that corner began to sob. And she said, I can identify him. And she said, he was my fiance. He died two years ago. Wow. 
And she said to me, the woman said, if I show you pictures on my cell phone at the break, would you be able to identify him? And I said, sure, you know, because I could see him very plainly. So during the break, she flipped through her pictures and I said, wait, stop, there he is. You know, I could identify him. And she said, yes, that's my fiance. Now, she had expected to hear from him. She was a person who believed in all this and you know, after he passed, she expected she would hear from him, and she never did, and she was sorely disappointed. Sure. So the fact that I had made this connection, you know, could tell her that he was okay. Um, she was very grateful for that, and she gave me a big hug, and she thanked me. Now, remember, I used to work on Wall Street, so there are no thank yous on Wall Street, and there are no hugs either. So I, you know, was struck, you know, it wasn't lost on me that, I had done something meaningful for someone. Sure, yeah. And that really registered, you know, really registered. So I continued in that class the rest of the weekend. We did another seance. The same thing happened only on an even more escalated level because now I was open. And um, I was very puzzled by all of this. I was just really having a hard time processing it. At the end of the class, I drove back home. And, um, on my way home, I called one of my sons. I have three sons, but one is very left brain, very logical. And I called him and I said, can I tell you what happened to me? And he said, yes. So I explained what happened in the class. And when I was all done, well, he listened. And then when I was all done, he said, well, that makes sense. We're just energy and the energy has to go somewhere. Mm, smart kid. And, yeah. And thank you. So, so he, um, gave me a context for understanding what had happened, a context that didn't involve ghosts or the paranormal or, you know, something eerie. This was sort of a pseudoscientific, you know, or scientific slash spiritual kind of context for things. And remember, I come out of a left brain background too. So, so this was something I could, I could deal with. You know, if you tell me in terms of energy and science, I can understand this. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, I thought about it and I thought, okay, that, that makes sense. Now I still didn't tell anybody what happened to me because it's not the kind of thing you talk about. You know, it's like, you know, what did you do this weekend? I went to a movie. What'd you do? I saw dead people. No, right, you didn't right. do that. So I didn't tell anybody that summer. Um, I decided to go to Taos, New Mexico, where I had been many times in the past. And I'm also an artist and I decided I would go out there to paint for two months and I rented a place and settled into paint. And what happened was I didn't come back. And that's a very common story for Taos. You know, out there, if you ask the locals, how long have you been here? They say, oh, you know, I came for a weekend 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you just tend to stick. It's a highly energetic place. It's in a vortex. Um, Taos Mountain is, there's been continuous prayer on Taos Mountain for a thousand years. Um, it's just a very high vibration, uh, place. So I, I found that, um, I think I was just meant to be there. So I stayed and this is where I unpacked the gifts that spirit gave me. And this is where I started to delve a little deeper into, um, you know, being a psychic and a medium and, um, you know, eventually offer workshops and do readings. Um, you know, in Taos, when someone says, what do you do? And you say, I'm a psychic. They say, oh, me too. It's, it's, it's not no big a, deal. It's regular. Yeah, it's not like the East Coast, you know. So 
Um, so it just wasn't a big deal, and I relaxed about all of it, and that's where I did my work. Eventually, I came back to the East Coast because I felt like I had done what I was supposed to do. I came back East thinking, well, I guess that's the end of that because I'm coming back to the East Coast, and the East Coast is not like New Mexico. Uh, nobody's going to care if I'm a psychic or, you know, it's just not the way things are kind of how, how they work. So, but that's not what happened. I came back and someone heard about me and they asked me to do a reading for them. And then they asked me to, if I could do a reading for their girlfriend and then the girlfriend's mother wanted a reading. And then somebody asked me to do a workshop. And before you knew it, you know, before I knew it, I was working as a, you know, practicing as a psychic and a medium. Now, how did I get involved in near-death experiences? Well, I was asked to do a reading for a famous NDE, or near-death experiencer, in Washington, D.C. in 2013. And um, when I read for this person, I was getting some very unusual symbols. You know, psychics see things in symbols. I was getting some very unusual symbols. And um, symbols unlike any other reading I had ever done. Symbols that involved the universe and energy and just some different, some different kinds of symbols. So when I came back home that night, I started thinking about this person in the reading, and I thought, you know, what happened to him? Why, he, he had an artistic gift. Why does he have this gift? What about other NDEers? Do they get gifts? What are they supposed to do with them? How do they get this gift? So I went online and I Googled NDE After Effects and I found that there hadn't been any research done. So I said, well, I guess I'll have to do the research. Now, it's not that far-fetched because remember, I used to be in the investment business. The first 10 years, I was a healthcare research analyst. So I knew how to do conventional research and thus I'd been in healthcare. So, um, so that's kind of how I got started with this. I only wanted to... Uh, investigate cases that had a physiologic um, or or um, measurable kind of after effect because there are lots of people who have NDEs or spiritually transformative experiences who say I'm more spiritual than I used to be yes okay yes. well I hear that a lot mm-hmm. I can't measure it right. you know I don't know how spiritual you used to be or and I can't measure how spiritual you are now or I'm a psychic you know or I'm more psychic than I used to be can't measure it but if someone says to me, my eyesight improved, or my IQ went up, or my hearing improved, or or I play a musical instrument and I never could before, or I channel music, or you know I have mathematical, I get da- mathematical downloads. I mean, those are all things that can be established and they can be quantified, and they're and in many cases they're recorded. Someone whose hearing changed, they may have had a hearing test before the event and after the event. Or there are people whose eyesight improves and they had a physical before and they had their eyes examined and after the event they have another eye examination and guess what, you know, their eyesight improved. So this could all be documented and I, that was what I was interested in because it's hard for science to refute when there are multiple cases of documentable uh, physiologic, you know, or anatomical changes. So, um, there are many, many cases out there of people who've who've um, uh, come back with their energy transformed, Ooh. but there had not been a, another book written or you know researched about these these cases. 
Um, but people come back from NDEs with their energy altered, and it can manifest in a variety of ways, but these are you know, just some of the ways, and those were the cases I was interested in. Oh, I'd love to hear more. I like I have spoken with many people who've had the NDEs and yes, the things they share while they're great and they go on to make a huge difference with humanity, it's not measurable. Right. More spiritual and you know, all these more psychic and things. So I would love to hear some of these stories or we would love to hear because mm-hmm. I've never heard something like someone's eyesight improved or their hearing or their IQ or they could channel music or mathematics no I had no idea that that's an after effect with some people well you know what's so funny is I was flying a few months ago on a southwest flight and you know how they have the um, airline magazine and there was a a story about a guy who'd had some traumatic experience and he came back and I can't remember exactly what his alteration was but he had something like improved IQ and um, and I read it and I thought well these are like the cases in the book. And then I, I went online to read more about it. And the editors from Southwest said, we have been deluged with letters about this sort of thing. Evidently it's more common than we thought. Wow. So yeah. So it just hasn't been discussed. It hasn't been brought to light, but yes, there are people who have uh, enhanced eyesight. I can tell you about one of the cases in the book, Mm -hmm. Robert bear. He was a um, policeman, a cop, in California, and he worked the um, riot squad in L.A., South Central L.A., which if you've ever been there, that's a pretty difficult place. Sure. And he also uh, was involved in the Berkeley riots. So he was involved in beating people and gassing people. Wow. Yeah. And um, he, you know, was a, he'd been a policeman for many, many years. But um, he went to visit. He had a son in Arizona, I think in Phoenix, and he decided he was going to go visit his son. But before he went to visit his son, he had a physical and an eye exam, and everything checked out great. He went to visit his son for a week. He had a wonderful time. His son took him back to the airport to go home. And he said, you know, when he got into the airport, he just didn't feel right. But he said he John Wayne'd it, and he made it onto the airplane, at which point he dropped dead. Wow. There were Uh, several paramedics on the airplane and they revived him. But while he died and you don't, by the way, have to clinically die to have an NDE. And I can tell you more about that later. But uh, so he, he had an out of body experience. He was above his body and he left and he um, had a life review. And in his life review, he saw what people were saying uh, about him behind his back. And remember he was a pretty tough guy. Um, And, He came back from his NDE, and he survived his heart attack, and he said, I only want to do good for now on. I only want to do good. So he moved to Oregon, and uh, he's now, uh, he writes uh, grants for foundations, like for unwed mothers, and he coaches the local Little League team, and, uh, you know, was named Citizen of the Year in his community and all this. But he had he noticed his vision had changed. So he went for an eye exam and they tested his vision and it was 2010. Now before his NDE, he had his vision done, uh, checked with his uh, physical and it was 2090. So his vision improved to better than perfect vision following his NDE. That's crazy. Um, Yeah. So there are, you know, there are many stories. I've met lots of people who, whose vision has improved. Um, You know, 
as I said, we come back, people come back from these events with their energy altered and it can manifest in many, many ways. Now, not everybody's going to come back with their, with improved IQ or vision. You know, I, people come to me for readings and they, and you know, many people who've had transformative experiences and they say, you know, I read your book, but, but my vision didn't change. <laughs> you know, well, not everybody's vision is going to change, but everybody will have uh, been transformed in some way, you know, and it could just be that they are more spiritual. Um, but, uh, many people do have other, other after effects. Um, there are, there was a woman in California who heard about the study that I was doing and she contacted me and um, her IQ went up by about 20 points. She had her IQ measured. She was a college student, and she had her IQ measured at that time. And her IQ was, I think, 122 or 123. And um, she had an NDE in childbirth in her 20s. And um, she had her IQ uh, tested again after that because she noticed that she was able to solve puzzles much more quickly, like her mental processes had really sped up. And she um, was watching like an Olympic event one time with her niece, and before the computers could flash the results on the screen, she was like calculating all the results. And uh, when she was, I think, studying for her PhD, she and her partner in one of her classes had to... Um, test each other uh, through some sort of process and she, the 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 partner couldn't get her to miss a question and the partner called the teacher over and said I can't get her to miss anything and the teacher said well just you can stop now so she noticed that th she was just getting things very quickly so she went and had her IQ tested again and it was now 145 which is a Mensa level so uh, I believe so um, you great. know her IQ went up over you know more than 20 points um, there are people who, you know, have other abilities. I mean, some people come back with artistic abilities. There was a, there's a woman in the book who came back who downloads quantum physics formulas, and she has 32 bins of paper oh my. In, in her closet, you know, filled with these formulas. And um, uh, she doesn't know what to do with them because she's a former hairdresser. Oh, my. I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, yeah. So now all these stories are in my book, you know, and, and more. I mean, yep, there are many sure. more stories. Um, and they're all interesting. And they're all from credible people, you know, and they all have been documented and checked out. And, you know, these are, I mean, NDEs are very, very common. Now, the thing is that people don't talk about them. You know, people don't talk about these spiritually transformative experiences because they don't want to, you know, there's a fear of ridicule. Um, you know, they don't want to be embarrassed. Right. Uh, so people don't talk about them. But according to a Gallup poll in, 19, in the 1990s, 15 million people in the U.S. alone have had a near-death experience. So there's probably even, you know, many more than that. It's just that the research isn't current. Right. That's um, a lot of people, though, for then. That's a lot of people, right. And, um, you know, and in, and in my book, I talk about, you know, the uh, – near-death experience world, I mean, resources for people who've had near-death experiences, because, you know, it can be difficult if you've had one of these, and especially if you don't talk about it, you know, who, where do you feel safe, who can you tell, um, where is their community, 
And there are some places, you know, where you can go for that. Um, I have a chapter in the book that explains that. Um, so it's, you know, now the near-death experience world has really, interest in it has really grown and expanded over the last number of years, partially because Evan Alexander's book, Proof of Heaven. Yes. You know, and he, he was a former neurosurgeon, and I, I feel that because he was a Harvard neurosurgeon, you know, he brought credibility to the topic. And a lot of people looked at his book and said, you know, if he could write his story, I could write my story. I could tell about it. So, you know, more and more people began to talk about this and write books about it. And of course, television, you know, the media has seized on it. You know, there are now lots of TV shows and movies and whatnot about near-death experiences. And, you know, let's face it, it's it's dramatic. It can be portrayed very dramatically uh, with visual images of the light and heaven and uh, tunnels and all of that. Now, you don't have to have experienced all of that to have an NDE. I've had many people come to me and say, you know, I read your book and I read all these cases, but I didn't, I didn't go through a tunnel or I didn't see a light, so I guess my experience wasn't valid. And the answer to that is the definition of an NDE, according to the uh, International Association of Near-Death Experiences and um, several other organizations, is if you have one of these experiences and come back transformed, unable to go back to your previous life. It's not a check-off-the-box kind of thing where if you can check off, you know, so many boxes, I saw a light and I went through a tunnel, then you had the experience because that's not what it is. You know, some people have out-of-body experiences and see a light. You know, that doesn't mean they had an NDE. Um, so it's not about the elements, although many people believe it is. And and the media is partially responsible for that because whenever somebody has a, an NDE in a TV show, they always go through a tunnel and see a light. But um, it's in the real world, it, it's not a prerequisite, you know, or a requirement to have that experience. I'm glad you're bringing this up because I've interviewed a bunch of different people who've had NDEs and their stories are different. And so people are like, well, how come they're not all the same? You know, and yes, there's some, some people have the life reviews. Some people see loved ones. Some people feel the light and a huge amount of love, but others don't. So it's nice to hear that you've done the research and it doesn't have to be that those things are the same. Um, but they are transformative experiences. Right, right. And um, now people's experiences are going to vary because people are all different, right? Right. And experiences are very much customized to the person. So uh, if they expect to see grandma, you know, they're very close to grandma, they may see grandma. If they believe in Jesus, they may see Jesus. If right. they believe in Buddha, they may see Buddha. Um, you know, there's no... There's no um, template, you know, that fits everybody because it, it's very much a reflection of your beliefs, um, your consciousness. I mean, it's, it's very interesting how these experiences are put together because they are cust- customized to each person. But, you know, uh, in my book and with my research, um, I did a combination of uh, research. I gave everyone a questionnaire and I interviewed them and that's very conven- that's conventional research but I also did readings on all of them because look I'm a I'm a psychic medium um, and there were questions that they couldn't answer I could give them a questionnaire and they couldn't answer who the, you know who were the beings of light they met they didn't know themselves mm-hmm. you know so they 
were all interested in getting readings because they had questions about what had happened to them. And what we found in the readings were that uh, the experiences that they had were, you know, again, very customized, very individualized, and were meaningful to each of the people, okay? So, and that makes sense because if you want to transform somebody, you have to give them something that's meaningful to them, <laughs> you know? If, yes. If you gave me somebody else's NDE, that's not going to mean anything to me. But if I, you know, have an experience where the most meaningful thing in my life shows up, you know, that's going to really affect me, you know, down to the my toes. And um, so, you know, these are life lessons. These are learning lessons. And in order to make them as impactful as possible, um, you know, they are customized. And, uh, you know, this is why some people have life reviews and other people don't, because people would ask me, how come I didn't have a life review? And that was a question that, you know, we often that would come up in readings. And what became clear was some people didn't have life reviews because there was no one to give them one. You know, if you grew up and you were very close to your grandmother and she was the most influential person in your life and she really meant something to you and you have an NDE and your grandmother who you haven't seen in 40 years shows up to give you a life review, I can guarantee you that's going to, you're going to notice that you're going to pay attention. But let's say that you grew up and there was nobody who was really, you know, maybe your parents weren't around much, didn't care that much. There was nobody who really was a mentor to you. Uh -huh. Just, there wasn't anybody there. Those are often the people that don't have the life review because there's nobody there that, you know, would be the right person to give it to, give them the life review. So, um, but, you know, they get something else. They may have something else happen to them. Deborah, so, have you come across anyone who's had a, a negative near-death experience? I've heard very few of those stories, but every so often somebody stumps me and I don't know what to say, you yeah. know, that it was scary. It wasn't a feeling of love. Have you ever experienced any of those stories? Yes, there are. Well, they say that about 2% of these experiences are negative. We don't really know because people don't report. You know, we don't, we just don't know. But, the, you know, there's a figure thrown around that's 2%. Now, there was a person in the book who did have a negative experience. I included it in the book. Um, this guy, uh, Javier is his name, and he was, again, a kind of a nasty guy. I mean, he would even admit it. He was an unhappy kind of negative person. Um, he was um, Hispanic and he was the lightest skin person in his family. And in his family, the lightest skin person had the most respect. And so he had many brothers and sisters, but he ran the family. And so if he wanted to eat, everybody ate. <laughs> if he wanted to go on a trip, everybody went on the trip. Wow. He was like a, a tyrant. And um, one time he was, um, his cousin called him and said, I'm a little short on money. Can you help me out? I need like $1,000. And he said, sorry, I'm going to Las Vegas for the weekend. And he went to Las Vegas, he lost $1,000, and it, it briefly crossed his mind, oh, that was the amount of money my cousin wanted, oh well. So he was just like not the world's nicest person, and he would say that also. But he was very close to his grandmother. And uh, one night, he went to bed, and he had this horrible experience. He felt like he was being pricked by a thousand sharp needles, he saw darkness, wow. uh, terrible figures, you know, he was scared to death. He woke up crying, but his grandmother was in this experience. 
his grandmother was in the experience now but it but she said she just came into the experience but i don't I don't remember all the details, but she came into the experience, but the rest of the experience was really frightening. And he woke up crying and the next day he couldn't get out of bed. And, uh, he just was, had a very difficult time dealing with it. Well, that night, one of his brothers called and said, I have some bad news for you. And Javier said, I already know what it is. Grandma died last night. And his brother said, how do you know that? And he said, because she said goodbye to me. I guess in the in the experience, she came in and said goodbye. So uh, he had that terrible experience. Now, after, after that distressing NDE, he went through a period of a couple years where he just couldn't get himself together. He, he used to drive like, you know, 120 miles an hour along you know, Pacific coast highway and he would get pulled over by the police and they would say, just be careful, more careful next time. (laughs) He couldn't get himself arrested. You know, he was trying every which way he just couldn't live with himself. He just didn't know what was going on. Now it took him a couple years, but eventually he began to transform. And he says, now today his family says, we don't recognize you. And he says, that's okay. I don't recognize myself either. He throws birthday parties now for his nieces and nephews. He comes home to take his parents to Costco. <laughs> he, he was never an athlete. And um, at the age of 37, he took up softball and won some kind of award. And they said to him, well, you've been playing your whole life. And he's like, I'd never have played before. Um, you know, he de- he's a do-gooder. He's like Robert Bear. He, you know, he just was transformed to, you know, very uh, high vibration you know, individual. And, um, he's quite something now, but he had, he, it did start with that negative NDE. Now, a lot of these people do come from a a background of darkness. Their lives are referenced by darkness. And that was a question, you know, we wondered about too in the readings. And, you know, I discussed this in my book. Um, you know, why are these people, um, why were their lives referenced by darkness? Well, you know, it became apparent that, um, you know, who better to have a transformational experience than someone who has come from darkness? You know, they're ready to go to the light. They're ready for transformation, right? right. So, yeah, so a lot of these people came from, you know, very dark places. And, uh, you know, it was sort of like they went along so long, you know, in this darkness, and then spirit reached out and said, okay, they've learned their lesson. It's time for the next thing. And it's like spirit takes these people. I feel like spirit has their eye, or the universe has their eye on these people as candidates. And when the time is right, uh, they have one of these experiences. Now, people have said to me, how can I have one of those NDEs? That just sounds great. You know, this is what I'm <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, and I say, no, actually, this is not something that you want. You know, no. it's, not, it's not, you know, they, they think, oh, this is going to make my life perfect. But the thing is, it's it comes with a lot of other, you know, uh, issues that are not so easy to deal with. Because now you've got one foot on Earth and one foot in the universe. And, you know, let's face it, we are wired to be here on Earth. We're not wired to be in the universe. Yeah. So, you know, people have to figure out how to kind of manage here in this world because that's where we live right now. Absolutely. And I know there's people that have a feeling of being without a body um, mm-hmm. of the NDE and then they come back in and they're filled with a body that may be in pain 
or crippled or whatever it may be. And, you know, so there's a grief that I was here and now I'm back here, you know, yeah. so I, I don't think while, while they're miraculous and transformative, um, I don't want to ask for one, you know, when the time's no. right, <laughs> I cross over. If I have one, so be it. But like you say, they're customized to each person. I love that. I remember reading somewhere that people do things for two reasons, either to move towards pleasure or avoid pain. And I think if they are customized, and maybe some of the people that have the negative ones, that's how they would respond and that's how they would transform as opposed to being surrounded by lots of loving cherubs or something. You know, who knows? I'm not God, so I, I wouldn't know, but it's a good it's a good thing to ponder. Yeah. Let me ask you, um when we talk about energy being altered in people with their eyesight and hearing and IQ and uh, all these great things, th- I've heard stories of people that have had like bodily healings like have you studied any of those people whose cancer has gone away or yeah, things like yeah, that? Yeah. Um there's a case in in my book um about a doctor Rajiv Partier who um was chief of um cardiac anesthesiology at Bakersfield Heart Hospital in California. And um, he was, you know, your typical type AA or AAA physician. He had two cars, I think a uh, Mercedes sports car and a, and a BMW or something. And um, he would go off to the hospital at 6 in the morning, and if somebody tried to cut him off on the freeway, he'd, like, go after them in his car. And he'd be <laughs> on the phone with his stockbroker and right. you know, very high-charged guy. And... Um, he ha- he lived in a 15,000 square foot house and, um, he was at home with his wife one day and he got a call from his doctor and the doctor said, um, I have some good news and bad news. And the bad news was that he, that Dr. Partier had, um, cancer. And so he was operated on and, um, he ended up having six operations and they couldn't cure the cancer. And, um, uh, in the meantime, he had become addicted to pain pills and was on antidepressants and still had cancer. And the cancer was progressing. And they were going to do a seventh operation when um, sepsis, he got an infection and sepsis set in. So he was ambulanced to UCLA Medical Center where they operated on him. And um, while he was on the operating table, he had an NDE. And in his NDE, he saw his sister and his mother in India, they live in India, having tea. And his mother was wearing a red sari and his sister was wearing a green shirt and blue jeans. And um, he came back from his NDE. Within days, he was off the pain medication, off the antidepressants, and uh, his cancer was cured. He That was that was, you know, it was cured. He's never had it since. He um, sold his 15,000 square foot house and bought a small house. He sold his cars and bought a Prius and he quit his medical practice. And um, uh, yeah, I mean, he, you know, and this was a very left brain guy, a man of medicine, right? And science. But um, he's actually friendly with, do you know Anita Mirjani? I do. Yeah, I love her book, Dying to Be Me. Yeah. So they're friends because Anita and Raj had their NDEs at the same time, and they're friends. And, um, yeah, there are many cases of uh, spontaneous um, healing. Um, You know, remember, we are energy, right? And 
you know, if you come back from a spiritually transformative experience or an NDE with your energy altered, it means basically that you come back with your with too much energy. Now you're energetically top heavy in a way. You know, mm-hmm. let's let's say that the average person is ninety nine percent body and one percent uh, consciousness, right? I mean, we don't really know, but you know, we Sounds use very little, yeah. We use very little consciousness. We're mostly in our physical bodies, but when People have NDEs. They come back. They're like top heavy with consciousness. They have too much consciousness. They're still they still have their physical body, but now they have this consciousness that they like is kind of trying to drive them around, and um, they have too much energy. Now that energy is very high vibration energy, and you know high vibration energetic work can be healing. I mean, we see it in Reiki, we see it in all sorts of energetic healing. And the people who are doing that kind of healing are not even using the the high levels of energy that somebody who would have a transformational experience would encounter. You know, because that energy in an NDE is coming straight from the universe. It's not coming from, you know, the Reiki master in your office building. You know, who might right. be able to channel high vibration, but it's just not the same. So, um, yeah, they're getting that very high vibrational energy and it has, you know, it just can have an impact, a physiologic impact on a lot of things. The other thing that was kind of interesting, well, there were so many things that were interesting. When I met a lot of the people, um, the cases uh, for my book and I interviewed them, I noticed so many of them, they would tell me their age and they always looked like 20 or 30 years younger. Really? Yeah, it was really interesting. Um, So, you know, evidently, having a lot of high energies, you know, also can make you more youthful looking. I mean, that's anecdotal. I can't, you know, swear to that, but it was always interesting to me. I would meet these people and they'd say they're 65 and I'm thinking, you know, they're maybe like 40. Right. Um, yeah, very interesting. Deborah, before all you went to that first intuition seminar, what were your own thoughts about death and afterlife and all that? Did you have any or you just didn't think too much about it. And my, my real question is, how has, between becoming a psychic medium, writing your book, transformed you and your beliefs? Good question. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I didn't think too much about it because, you know, remember, I don't know if you know anybody who works on Wall Street, but it's relentless. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I was very busy and I had three kids and you know, I, everything else going on. So I, I didn't think about it too much. And also doing that kind of work does not lend itself to self-reflection. No, you know, it does not. Dollar, right. It's a dollars and cents business. And so I, now I was always interested in the mind. I was always interested in psychology. I was always interested in those things, but I didn't know anything about the, about the metaphysical really. And this was also quite a few years ago. So you know, it's a little different than today. Um, I just didn't know, you know, I, I was curious, but didn't spend a lot of time, uh, didn't spend a lot of time on it. And, um, I don't know how much there was really for me to delve into at that point, but, um, how have I changed? Well, I, uh, you know, I, I take it for granted now that there's more, you know, to uh, our world than what we can see. And, you know, in our world, particularly in the uh, Western culture, if you, it's, if, if you can see it, 
it's true. And if it's invisible, it's not, it doesn't happen. Right. And I don't believe that anymore. I'm not sure I ever believed, but I don't, I definitely don't believe it now. There's so much that goes on that is unseen, that is in the invisible world. And I really, I really uh, believe that this attitude that, you know, um, it has to be reproducible and it has to be seen and it has to be in the physical world for it to be real. I really attribute that to science and to Western medicine. And that has such a pervasive effect on, on our culture and our, and people, um, that, you know, what I do is poo pooed, um, and, um, dismissed because, you know, obviously it couldn't happen. Science says, you know, can you reproduce that, that uh, reading? Although I, I do, I can reproduce a reading, but, um, you know, you can't reproduce an NDE. That's not possible. Um, but, uh, now I just, I mean, I, I do believe and I know that, um, that this is true, that there's, you know, many levels of reality uh, happening at the same time that we are only privy to one in this physical world. But, you know, as a, as a medium, um, I read for people, 99% of the people I read for, I don't know. I have no idea who they are. I read long distance by Skype. These, you know, people will contact me Great. and, um, you know, they could be from anywhere in the world and I've never met them. And, uh, I'm reading for them and somebody, you know, one of their loved ones comes into the reading and they are clearly identified. You know, they give me information that, you know, identifies them. Now, how would I know that? Exactly. <laughs> you know, how would I know that? I mean, you know, I don't know these people. I don't know their families. I don't know anything about them. So, um, you know, the information is all is all out there if you can access it. Now, you don't have to be a psychic and a medium to access it. You know, you can be trained to do this. And um, I just happen to, you know, have started from probably a little higher level than some. But, um, you know, you can be trained to do it. We all have intuition. Most people, some people pay attention to it. Not everybody does. But if you pay attention to your intuition, it's like a muscle and it becomes stronger. And um, intuition is just kind of a lower form of psychic ability. You know, if you kept working on your intuition through meditation and opening up your mind, you know, your the information that you get is going to become stronger and more frequent. And how much do you want to practice? Anyone can be a, a great piano player, but, it you know, you take lessons and you practice and you practice and you practice. And while there are some psychic mediums that have got the gift, uh, more times than not, I hear stories of people that really developed it and really sat in meditation and studied. And, and so I do think we all have it. And again, it might not be everybody's passion, but it can be developed. I really do think so. Yeah, no, it's true. I know when I have workshops, you know, people say, I've been trying, I've been meditating for three months or, you know, a year, whatever. And I say to them, look, you know, if you... If I gave you a concerto to play on the piano and you'd never taken a piano lesson and I said, here it is, go sit down and play it, would you be able to play it? No. No. But if I said, here's this concerto, go off and come back in five years or ten years, you know, you'd be able to play it. It's practice. It's just like anything else. You know, it's people think it's magic or it's hocus pocus. You know, you can just do it. Well, you know, you know, there are certain techniques. You learn how to do it and then you practice it and, you know, that's just how it is. How do you live your life, Deborah? I guess the better question is, do you have any sense of what this life is all about? If if we don't die, 
if there is a hereafter, any words of wisdom that could enrich our life now? Wow, that's a big question. Oh, I know. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I try to do things that are um, meaningful to me and to others. Um, I am not interested in superficiality, which tends to be um, a trait of many people who have had these transformative experiences. Um, I live very much the life of the mind. I do a lot of reading, um, a lot of intellectual pursuits. Um, I try, I spend a lot of time in nature in terms of relationships. I am interested in relationships that are true and authentic. Um, I'm not interested in, I'm just not interested in chit chat. Um, you know, which could be a failing, but I mean, it just is what it is. Um, I uh, surround myself with things that are me. I try to surround myself with things that are important and meaningful in my house. I have uh, a lot of natural elements, um, uh, music. Um, I'm also an artist and a musician. So, you know, all of these are high vibrational activities and I try to do that because that nurtures your soul. And as you said, you know, before we got on the air, you said you had taken a long walk. I'm a big walker, and I find that I have to do that because it grounds me. It connects me to the earth. And when you spend a lot of time out of your body, like I do, you know, doing readings and whatnot, you need to ground yourself. And uh, a good way to do that and a natural way to do it is to walk in nature, you know, not walk on the sidewalk and not walk, you know, down the street but, you know, walk on a path in nature and be uh, around nature. So, um, you know, those are all things I I, um, enjoy doing, and they're pretty essential to my life. I don't watch much TV. Um, I do read a lot. Uh, I don't know. Um, What You know, and then what is life about? Wow, that's – I I do believe that we – you know, our soul is – you know, we're on a continuum, that life here on earth is just part of the continuum and that we continue, our soul continues, our essence continues. And it's much like in an NDE, you know, it's what you take with you are your strongest beliefs and what's most important to you here on earth. This is just one part of the deal. So, you know, this is our time to cultivate those beliefs that are actually meaningful and, you know, uh, that can contribute in some way energetically to our world and to the universe and to others. That to me is a great answer because just by listening to you and just hearing, it's like you're this human vehicle that we have, you're using it, you're being of service, you're being creative, you're have, you have enriching relationships, not just the superficial ones. Um, you know, you, you like to read, you like to learn. So, it sounds like you're taking care of your vehicle and, and using it and going to Taos and all that. It just, I don't know if there is a, a perfect answer for that question, but it just sounds like you're a, a living demonstration of um, living life to its fullest. I mean, well, I know you. there's always more, of course, but it, um, that's what it sounds like to me. Um, well, thank you. It's, um, you know, it's interesting that you use that, Uh, metaphor of taking care of the vehicle because I often think of it that way you know it's sort of like driving your car 
you know, you could think your car is like really important, except that it's really just the vehicle that gets us around. Mm-hmm. But you do have to service it. You do have right. to take care of it, you know, because it's your vehicle while you're here, right? And um, yeah, and you can use that car for a lot of journeys. You know, you can go lots of places and do lots of things. So uh, it's just funny to me that you use that that metaphor. Yeah, I, I like calling it that because it's what I feel, you know, and there's, there's still things we can explore and we could at any time change our GPS to a different destination and, you know, and that's all okay. You know, as we grow, we have different interests and not good or bad, but we have lots of experiences. Well, so I want to ask you now, how can people uh, get your book? How can people contact you? Do you welcome people who are interested in getting a reading from you via Skype? Yes, definitely. So um, I do read by Skype long distance and um, those readings are the same as uh, in-person reading because energy is non-local. So, you know, you don't have to be in the same room with someone. That's why, you know, people do telephone readings, but Skype works the same way. And um, uh, so I am available for those. Um, My book is Life After Near Death, Miraculous Stories of Healing and Transformation in the extraordinary lives of people with newfound powers and it's available um, online at Amazon and Barnes and Noble online and also available at bookstores it's available at um, most Barnes and Noble bookstores um, my website is I have two websites actually Deborah Diamond Psychic and it's D-E-B-R-A Diamond like a diamond ring Deborah Diamond Psychic.com and Deborah Diamond Author.com so they can contact me through my website. Um, I do workshops. I give a lot of talks. I travel you know, all over the country and give talks and workshops. And, um, you know, and I you know, love hearing from people. Um, I read for people who've had NDEs, but I read for all kinds of people. You don't have to have had an NDE to have a reading. Um, so, you know, I do readings in person if you're in the mid-Atlantic or, you know, some people travel quite a distance, uh, but other people just have, you know, will have a reading by Skype. So it's it's all good. I love that. It's all good. It really is. And you're on Facebook, Deborah Diamond Psychic Medium. Um, yes. Yeah. Yes, on Facebook. Facebook, and- Life After Near Death. In fact, any of you who are listening to this on YouTube right now, if you just scroll down in the description. I've got easy links to all of Deborah's websites. There's a great YouTube video. You can watch her speaking uh, and an easy way to purchase her book. So to make life easy. <laughs> and if you're not listening through YouTube, if you simply go to wedontdieradio.com, you can click on this episode with Deborah Diamond. And you've got a great and easy to remember name. <laughs> yes, uh-huh. it's very alliterative. Yeah, it's super good. Any closing comments or thoughts or words you'd like to say before we close this episode? You know, I think, Sandra, we pretty much covered everything. Um, We did a lot. I think it's just to think of, uh, you know, we don't die. I mean, energy, you know, as we started out the program, energy doesn't, you know, doesn't, um, doesn't die. So, uh, you know, it can change form, but, you know, we are energy and, um, energy continues. So um, I think, you know, that's that's a, a good way of understanding um, a, a lot of this. Of course, we don't have explanations for all of it, but it's a good place to start. Oh, it's great. I mean, we can't see the invisible GPS signals and the wireless internet, and they're very real. And even you mentioned quantum 
physics down to our tiniest you know people break apart an atom i mean it's just invisible energy you know so i buy totally into life after death being real that energy does not disappear and energy can live on top of energy at the same time hence i think heaven is all around us if you want to call it that the afterlife is is just that it's afterlife but it's still here so i love it well i've loved speaking with you today deborah and thank you so much i enjoyed it too sandra thank you very much so we'll keep in touch for sure and for our listener thank you for spending the hour with deborah diamond and i i think it's it's definitely been of interest to me and i hope it has been of you too i want to encourage you if you are somebody who's on facebook we started a facebook group for listeners who are interested in talking about life after death maybe getting some support through grief talking about what it is to be human in the search box on facebook just type in we don't die listeners and we'd love to have you join us also on my website we don't die radio.com you can find all the past episodes 204 i believe quite a few and see some of the amazing guests and listen to their stories you can also join the insiders club and get a very healing audio called how to survive grief as well as uh, learn more about my book we don't die so in closing again thank you my name is sandra champlain and i've been delighted to be your host on each and every episode of we don't die radio and i do believe that life is an education for the soul and that your life here on earth is important so i really want to thank you for listening and we'll see you soon Mm -hmm.